Christ truly be with you today. Scriptures today are coming from um, beginning with Psalms in 25, Psalm 25, verse 1. This can be found on page 505 of your Pew Bible. Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come upon those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God. You are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This can be found on page 1081 in your pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians 3 beginning in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in his presence, in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I was just so impressed when I walked into the sanctuary today to see the beautiful decorations of our space. And we really value the arts as part of our expression of worship to God. And so thank you for Kendrick and Katie and Jessica and Crystal for giving your time yesterday to help us worship God through the space around us. You know, part Advent season, as we're stepping into it, uh, one of the ways that you can journey through Advent is through this devotional guide that we've made available. I think I've got the last, the fourth last one here, so uh, please don't leave right now to go grab it, but they're in the back. Uh, you can pick it up on the way out there, and we'll make sure we get some more next, for next time. I think there's a children's one as well, a pop-up calendar for those of you who want to do that together with your kids as well. You know, over the past few months, we've been hearing updates of an migrant uh, caravan that has been making its way towards our southern border. And they, many of these people are, are looking to be future 
immigrants to the United States, uh, seeking a place of safety and of opportunity, fleeing a place of poverty and violence in their home countries, and hoping for a better future for their, themselves and for their children. Now, many of them find themselves literally waiting at the border for their chance to be heard by the U.S. government. But their wait seems impossibly challenging as they live in shelters without any significant support and safety net and a case processing system that seems incredibly limited for the volume of applicants. On this side of the border, we have citizens and residents of our country that are watching what seems like people jumping ahead of them in the queue that they and their parents have, been step, have stepped into. They've been waiting their turn to achieve the American dream of prosperity and success for their families, but they're watching opportunities disappear before their eyes. Factories are closing down. Young people are leaving their communities, and this opioid uh, crisis is tightening its grip on their communities. And they feel like places like D.C. and urban areas of the country don't understand them and their values. Arlie Rothschild, a leading sociologist, resent, uh, rep, uh, records their sentiments in their, her aptly named book, Strangers in Their Own Land. There's a significant population that feels like they're watching the world and their country change before their eyes, and they're waiting for something to change. You know, waiting is something that we all experience. And I, don't think, most, I think most of us don't like waiting, right? We don't like waiting in lineups. We don't like waiting and navigating all those voice prompts when you call and you're trying to talk to someone real. Or maybe you're texting someone and you know that they've read your text message and you see the bubbles coming up that they've started to write something, but they don't press send. And you're waiting for the response. Sometimes we're waiting for something significant like a new job opportunity or medical diagnoses for our, to find out what's going on in our bodies. Some of you right now are waiting for me to drop the main point, like EDM fans waiting to drop the bass. All this waiting in life can be frustrating or downright dejecting. But how does God work through our waiting? And when our lives are unclear as we're trying to find our way through life, is God silent or is he uncaring? The Advent season is a time for us to remember. Time to remember how in our waiting for something to happen, there's someone who's making things happen. And in our watching for something to happen, there's someone who's watching over us. As we look primarily at the Psalm 25 text, we discover how our watching, in our watching and waiting, God, we find, has been watching and waiting as well. Psalm 25 is known as a lament psalm, where the psalmist expresses his authentic emotions before the living God. And in this psalm, we see the psalmist watching and waiting for God to bring him protection from his enemies, for guidance, and for removing the guilt, a burden of guilt. Unlike many other psalms, this psalm ends simply with patient waiting, not with a celebratory declaration of joy. And in our don't talk about negative things culture, we're not always sure what to do with things like this, with laments. We're not a culture that's very good at lamenting. But psalms like these give us freedom. We are able to pray what we're feeling. They give us license to speak honestly before God, 
because he's the only being in the universe who can take all of our emoting, both good and bad. Here, the psalmist begins by expressing this wait for well-being to come. He begins declaring his trust in the Lord, and in verse 2 and 3, I trust in you. Do not let me put, be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. For many of us living lives of relative safety, these words may seem distant. So, sure, immigrants fleeing persecution and violence might easily identify with the cry of the psalmist. Their physical well-being was immediately on the line. Our enemies may not be as physical or as immediately endangering in nature, but they are no less real. I think we can all imagine a part of our lives where we can experience greater wholeness in, greater well-being. The psalmist repeats this word shame three times in these two verses. Feeling shame is one thing, but being put to shame is another level. When you're standing before others and made to, feel, made to feel less than, that is one of the most disempowering things that anyone can go through. If we're excluded or even attacked because of our skin color, because of our social standing, or just because we dress differently, our humanity is being stripped before our eyes. If we have been bullied by words or by actions, our humanity is being degraded before others. And that is deeply painful. The effects last far beyond that immediate moment. Sometimes it's not what's done to us. It's simply what we're exposed to that can be damaging to our well-being. Military veterans, first responders, or those in law enforcement face high instances of PTSD because of what they see in their line of work. Zach, he's a young man who started attending our church in Vancouver. He's given me permission to share his story. At the time, we were doing a sermon series where he heard stories of how God met people in their trauma and in alcohol abuse and unhealthy habits. After an invitation and a sermon to speak with a pastor, he messaged me and I sat down with him that Wednesday after. I found out as he sat in my office that he was a law enforcement officer who had been serving with the RCMP for, uh, that's the law enforcement agency in, in Canada. And just eight years into his career, he had seen more than his soul could handle. He was now on leave for PTSD at the age of 27. He was feeling less than because no human should have to witness what many of our first responders and veterans have to see. He tried to drown out that trauma with excessive drinking and partying in unhealthy relationships. But that low point was an opportunity for him to understand how Jesus had been reaching out to him. Over the next few months, I had the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with him. And I had the privilege of baptizing him at the beach in Vancouver, where he declared his hope and trust in Jesus. And over the next few months, I saw God work in his life. As he continued in his counseling and his rehab, God's love and forgiveness gave him something to hope in. Through his, though his experiences had brought him to a place of feeling less than, he came to know how Jesus came to make him well. And over these past years, I've seen him grow and heal, and now he's just gone to Cambodia, entrusting this season to serve Jesus in a country that has its own collective PTSD to go through. 
after years of ravaging war. In your watching and waiting for well-being, the psalmist's words remind us that the way out of shame and towards finding well-being is in Christ. It's through a hope and trust in the living God that we find our soul and our humanity made well. Advent is the season for us to confront those parts of our lives where we feel less than and where, consider where we can, we're waiting for our lives to be made whole again. Advent is an invitation to name those parts of our lives where we're waiting for God's peace to come and his righteousness to come into our lives and into our world in a more tangible way. Since I was a child, I've always had a pretty good sense of direction. When I was 12, Vancouver opened up its world to the, through the Expo 86 World's Fair. And our family had a constant stream of visitors come through our house and stay with us as they came to visit. I would often be sent to sit in the, other, in the family, visiting family's cars because they, I was good at the directions. I would give them directions to get through the city. Someone even called me the talking map. Millennials, this is what life was like before voice navigation and GPS. You see, you couldn't go and push a button that says, my location, to find out where you are. You actually had to walk to the end of the corner and look at the street signs and say, oh, I'm here. And then you would look up the directory, where's that street? And then you flip it over and find the quadrant where your thing is. And you couldn't go like spread your fingers to zoom in because what you see is what you get. But nowadays, all we have to do is punch in our location, and it tells you where you are, and it tells you where to go, which way to turn, when to turn, and even now, apps will tell you where the cops are, where the hazards are, and that there's a car parked out the side of the road. Guidance is pretty snazzy nowadays. But don't we wish guidance for our lives could be a little more like that? The psalmist voices that longing for us. He, co- he continues in verse 4 and 5, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you, God, are my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Here the psalmist is watching and waiting for the living God to guide him into God's truth and to lead him. Wouldn't it be nice to turn off our brains and just listen to a voice to tell us what decision to make and when to make it? But that's not the sense that we get here. It's not special guidance for minute-by-minute, play-by-play decisions that the psalmist is asking for. Notice that the psalmist isn't saying, God, show me my way. God, show me my path. He prays in second person, in plural. It's, show me your ways, God. Show me your path. It's a longing to be guided by this good and general will of God. It's a longing to walk in this trajectory into God's good intent for humanity and for all of creation to flourish. In the later verses of this psalm, the psalmist articulates what the paths look like. Verse 21 says, May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. The psalmist is asking God to reveal the paths and ways for right decisions that lead to a secure and flourishing life. The writer of Hebrews, too, illustrates what this kind of life might look like as he talks about the importance of building your life upon and depending upon God's word. He says in Hebrews 5.14, But solid solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. God's guidance 
has been made known to us already through his written word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Rather than watching and waiting for specific instructions to come from out there and to be downloaded into our brain, most of the work of looking for God's guidance is building on the groundwork that God has already given to us. A couple of weeks ago, Julie and I got to enjoy a, a restaurant, at a, a Thai restaurant in Arlington. As we got back to our car after leaving the restaurant, Julie asked me if I overheard this couple who was sitting next to us. They were a couple about our age, and it sounded like they had grown up in this area. And they spoke of this guidance that they should have followed earlier in life when they were in college. They thought, if only we had listened to people and not hung around with our high school friends through college and went and networked with the people, the movers and the shakers, our lives would be so much farther ahead than where we're at now. Those movers and shakers have much better careers. Those movers and shakers have much nicer houses. Now they hoped for a different life had they been guided along a different path earlier in their life. You ever feel like that? You feel like the path that you're on seems to be like the wrong path? But the beautiful thing about the words here is that God has a path and there's never a wrong path, even though it might be a, a difficult path. The Advent season is a time to acknowledge our longings. This season, we can remember that in our watching and waiting for guidance, we also remember that God has come to guide us into an abundant life. We may have difficulty seeing things in the moment, but there is a path that has been walked by someone else that leads to a full and abundant life. When we see the psalmist's prayer, may integrity and uprightness protect me, we might first think that it's our integrity and our uprightness that leads to this protection and blessing. That's true to a certain degree. But no matter how well-intended you are, no matter how strong your moral fortitude is, no one can live that out 100%. But someone has. And this psalmist unknowingly anticipates it too. This leads us to our final point. In our watching and waiting, we find that the living God has in fact been watching and waiting all along. In verse 8 and 9, he said, the psalmist says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. There is a path that leads to well-being, and there is a path where we can find true guidance. And the living God is the one who leads us in this way of integrity and uprightness. The psalmist upholds the character of God as good and upright. And we heard Rachel read, early, oh no, um, Angie read earlier uh, the passage from Jeremiah, where he talked about the Lord is righteous and just. The Lord is our righteous Savior. He is the one who is righteous, and he is the one who offers his guidance by teaching us, instructing us, and showing us his ways. In the Advent season, remember how God has come to care for our well-being and guide us into this meaningful and full life through his son, Jesus. In our watching and in our waiting, Advent is a time to remember that God, too, has been watching and waiting since the beginning of time for us to be reunited with him. He's not watching like this inattentive parent at those mall play areas. I've never been one of those, right, where you're looking down at your phone as your kids are playing. You just look up occasionally and say, be nice, don't do that. But meanwhile, they've already figured out how to break out of the childproof gates and 
They're making a break for the chocolate store. God cares enough to come himself and care for our well-being and guide us by doing it himself first. He leads us by walking the path first, and it's a path that many of us aren't willing to go down if we really were to know what's at the end of it. When Jesus arrives, he knows that it's our shame, it's our brokenness, it's our self-righteousness and our sin that he carries on this path to the cross. And he walks the path of integrity and uprightness perfectly. Even though he's accused falsely, even though it's an unjust trial, he never lets go of his right standing. He lives a life that we could never live so that we don't have to die this death of feeling less than for all eternity. In between his first coming and his, the one to come, we wait and we watch, remembering that the living God has been watching over us and he's been watching, waiting for the time to come once again. And when he comes once again, our longings for all those less than making things in this world will be done away with once and for all. We will be guided into a place of well-being for all eternity as we put our trust in Christ. So if you're here today and you find yourselves watching and waiting for something to happen in your life, be assured that something has happened already, something significant when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And something will happen when he comes once again. The living God has been watching and waiting because he loves you. So will you hope in him as the psalmist asks? Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that our lives aren't perfect. There's things that we are longing for that we're trying to find our way through life. And during this Advent season, we can acknowledge them before you. Those things that we're waiting for, for fullness to come, for your promises to be evident, for justice to come in our world. And in this time of waiting, as we acknowledge them before you, maybe even take a moment right now and just whisper it, say it in your heart before God. God, I'm waiting for this. God, I'm watching for this in my life and in my world. When's it going to come? As we acknowledge it, we're reminded that we can trust in you, God, because you have been watching, you have been waiting, and you will come again because you are good and you are righteous and just. Nothing escapes your attention, and you love us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.